If you are into sustainability and cannabis, this show is for you. Hi, I'm Benjamin Douglas Ray, the creator and host of Sustainable Cannabis TV, a daily 30-minute interview show focused on sustainable practices within the cannabis industry. Sustainable Cannabis TV is designed to give listeners in-depth insights, knowledge, and stories of industry professionals who are positive impacting the world and making a difference. This show is brought to you by my line of organic hemp CBD products called 8 Saints Brand. THC-free creams, balms, and tinctures to ease joint pain, reduce anxiety, and help you sleep better. Check them out at 8SaintsBrand.com. It's uh, Benjamin Douglas Ray with another edition of Sustainable Cannabis TV. Today, I'm here with Brian Gandy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Benjamin. How are you? Doing excellent. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, today's show is presented by BudsFeed, LinkedIn for Leaders, and 8 Saints brand organic hemp CBD made from Colorado Organic Hemp. You can check out the links down at the bottom of this page. So, Brian... Thanks for your flexibility. I love your story so far that we've been talking about it and welcome today. Yeah, Benjamin, thank you for having me. Um, looks like a quite a quite an adventure you're on and uh, caught a couple of the podcasts and I really appreciate the opportunity to get on and um, share my story as well. Yeah, that's great. Great. Well, as you know, I'm here in Denver and you're over on the Western Slopes. So you're near Carbondale. Is that right? Uh, yeah, closer to Glenwood Springs um, in Newcastle, so about 10 miles west of Glenwood, west of the canyon, um, about an hour from Aspen and an hour from Vail, depending on us. Uh, not not a speak. bad place to be. Not a bad place. Um, cool. So tell us, tell the viewers and listeners about how you got into this industry, really what your background is, kind of how you, how you came to move to Colorado and just what you're up to. Um, yeah, so my, my background is in horticulture. I studied at the University of Georgia. Um, and my whole life, you know, I grew up around Southern food. I'm from Georgia originally and grew up around Southern gardening and Southern food, which in turn, you know, turned into a career pursuit. Um, you know, cannabis is, is a wonderful industry. I never thought we'd be able to celebrate democracy this way, honestly, when I started my program. Um, but uh, organic food production has been my uh, passion since graduating school. Um, if I could do it every day, I, as soon as I can afford to do it every day again, I will. Um, and we've got a 15 acre farm where we'll be growing some food there in addition to our hemp and lavender. Um, but yeah, I, I got into food production mostly through the horticulture program with the University of Georgia. And then <clears throat> at the end of my time there, I was working in a biorefinery where we were working on wastewater remediation and as a result, um, algae for biofuels, um, which you know, in the last decade and even before that has been kind of debunked as feasible. But what we started there, um, we were manipulating plants with light and eliciting different responses with the goal being oil production. Um, it took five years leaving that pursuit to really realize how that translated into the macro field of cannabis and lighting. Um, so now I work with LED technology and basically we are manipulating plants again with light, but on a canopy level rather than a cellular level. Um, and the, all the while in that track, you know, I've kept one foot in the ground as far as organic 
vegetable production. Um, I've grown vegetables everywhere from 400 feet in the coastal plain up to above 8,000 feet um, just outside of Vail. Um, but when I moved to Colorado in 2010, I went straight to work. Uh, within two days, I had a job horticulturist in uh, 2010 in Colorado. It was a great place to be. Um, I worked retail at one of the oldest grow shops in Denver just to network and learn about the do's and don'ts from good growers and bad growers alike. Um, turns out some of the best growers out there are the ones that work at the hydro shop. So if you ever have questions, it's still a good place to go. Um, but yeah, after that, um, put my roots down, grew, became a ski bum, um, moved back and forth between the mountains a few times, uh, worked in Boulder County on some tech startup stuff. And since then I've uh, reacquainted with my old mountain woman and started a family and moved back out west um, to put down roots and um, continue working out here on sustainability and um, raising awareness on new technology. Uh, that's awesome. Well, one of the companies, Deep Rooted Hemp Company, does that have anything to do with your, your uh, coming back to the Western Slope roots? Tell me about that. It does. Um, you know, that's a bittersweet story. It's a uh, started off as a partnership with someone and it's got the, uh, I thought about making that one of our topics is the sustainability startup blues, but I didn't want to go through the, the doldrums of a startup in a pandemic year. Um, but really the, the deep rooted brand is about, um, yeah, staying in touch with the, the ground and the process and really shortening the distance between the product and the person consuming it. Um, and all the while, you know, with my, my other company, I've, what I've taken, I'm applying what I've learned in sustainable business practices to um, Deep Rooted. Um, I'll be pursuing a B Corp status, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, basically we grow a small craft batch of hemp at the farm and turn it into a craft line of products and our entire su supply chain um, is geared around women, minorities, veterans, and disabled people. Um, so it's a, it's a passion project and it's definitely, um, yeah, I, I love growing hemp. It's one of the most beautiful plants to grow out there. So, um, it's an advocacy cool. platform as well as a, a channel for good products. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's going to be ever, ever important ongoing. So commend you for that. So tell me about sustainable terrain. So that's a, that's kind of a personal brand that you've had going for a while. Yeah, so I founded Sustainable Terrains in 2014 when I was in uh, Boulder County, like I mentioned, working on a LED tech startup company, um, really to formalize my consulting efforts. Um, I've been working in sustainable agriculture and, um, you know, just consulted on a lot of open-ended farming projects. But really, when I dug in on the technical side, I just formalized that entity to um, bring all of those projects under one roof. and. Um, basically develop a, a personal brand before I knew exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. um, and since then, you know, I've consulted in everything from, uh, again, sustainable farming, permaculture, um, sustainable business and appropriate technologies and any kind of horticulture landscape. It's been a, an umbrella for all of my, uh, my pursuits. It's awesome. Okay, good. Well, I've got some questions about impact, you know, just looking over your companies and, you know, talking with you, you know, I, I'd like to know about impact awareness and really, you know, your thoughts on that, about how to get people to be more involved or at least understand the impact of sustainable choices. 
Yeah, so this is something that started in me as a child, I guess. Um, I've always had a connection with, um, I don't know if it was my elementary school making us sing about polystyrene and learning about the implications back then, but since then I've just been an advocate for better management practices and sustainable business um, and sustainable agriculture. So one of the toughest parts about studying sustainability is you understand the weight of the world, all of the supply chains, every purchase decision you make, um, you know, where the tires on your car come from and the implications of those things. So rather than burden people with the topic of what you're doing wrong to the planet, I think it's important to raise awareness that every decision we make has an impact and every decision we make moving forward has an impact. So rather than feel the guilt and, um, you know, again, try to shoulder the weight of the world, just raise awareness, be mindful. Um, you know, the, my favorite way to do this was when I was growing vegetables in um, Augusta, Georgia. I We grew the best tomatoes at the farmer's market. The guy that brought in truckloads of tomatoes to sell, he bought tomatoes from us to eat. That's the best conversation starter for an organic farming initiative that I've ever been able to find. It's basically put something delicious in someone's mouth and then have a conversation and they ask you how you did it. And you say, well, this is how your grandmother's grew tomatoes and this is how it's different than, you know, so-and-so. And rather than calling out somebody for being wrong or chastising them, I think it's better to uh, raise awareness and try to take every opportunity to educate. And that's really been my stance uh, since getting out of school and through food and farming and um, again, through a sustainable business model and continuing education, um, yeah, that's that's my mo. That's my whole lot in life is to try to help people understand what they're what they're doing and how they can make it better. Well, you know, when you talk about negative, uh, we we all every company is not doing something a hundred percent perfect. So you know, if if you're of the mindset that you can call out companies for doing things wrong, you know, I think that they know that they are. It takes time to change, and so focusing on what they are doing right, which we've talked to talked a lot about on this show about the companies that. They do need to be transparent and they do need to say, we're working towards sustainable business practices. So by 2025, 2030, here's what we are doing. And for me, that's a much better, much better way to work with these companies, you know, whether it's consulting or whatever it is, or or just, you know, promoting their resources on here for the viewers and listeners, is, is to really just say, here's the things that they are trying to do to be sustainable. Now, if the companies say we're not doing anything wrong, well, you know, that's a different case for saying what they're what they're doing wrong. But if they say we acknowledge these things, we know it's been this way for 50 years and we're working toward this better, then I then I find that as a more positive solution, as you say, than just pointing out what's wrong. Yeah, I really like to come with a, a solution in hand. Um, and again, it's it's one thing that it's like the word organic. We hear sustainability and sustainable a lot now. Um, and it's, I don't want it to lose meaning, but basically I think it, people are understanding it now as being well-intentioned and then also working at that. Um, you know, when you look at environmental social governments and corporate sustainability reporting, um, it's becoming a mandatory minimum for companies moving forward on the corporate scale. And this is, you know, something I'm aware of, but I don't, I've got some friends who actually write reporting and stuff like that. And we talk quite a bit about it, but, you know, being a company, you have to have, you have to be profitable first. Um, I like to say, if you can't afford your soapbox, no one will let you stand up and yell from it. So <laughs> you have to make a dollar at the end of the day, but 
yeah, bring in, you know, bring in your priorities. That's one thing I really like about the B Corp program is you you lay out your priorities in your operating agreement and say, you know, we're going to balance our impact on the planet, our impact on our people with our bottom line. Mm -hmm. And um, that is the way we all have to be doing business moving forward. And again, I don't think it's it's healthy to have like a cancel culture to say, oh, well, you know, they ship their product with a, a rubber vial or whatever, you know, like condemning a company for one act, as long as someone or a business is trying to really make a positive impact, let's look at those companies first and, um, you know, their environmental impact, their social impact and their financial impact that they can give back and, um, you know, bring, bring those companies into the light and help them move forward. And I think the companies like you were talking about that are ignoring or say that we're not doing anything wrong, um, those companies aren't going to be around forever. Um, even, you know, big oil right now is investing in alternative energy pretty heavily, um, hedging their bets and, you know, making moves to make better decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it completely makes sense that if it's starting to happen with smaller companies that the bigger companies are going to do it too, because they really do have the, the power in terms of the volume to truly make an impact. So what, what are some of those things in terms of, let's go conversely in terms of impact reduction that you work on or that you see that companies can do to lessen the negative impacts of, of you know, their production or their operations? Right. And, um, you know, for this conversation, I will use deep rooted hemp as the model. I mean, really, we um, have built that company around, again, it's a, a very small craft production. You know, I plant everything by seed and harvest it by hand. Um, but what we do there, you know, we we try to advocate for the hemp industry as a whole. Um, we use hemp based paper labels that are a combination between hemp and recycled paper. So it's a very small sliver of a fraction, but our purchases, you know, we pay a little bit more for our labels to help support a hemp farmer, hopefully a domestic hemp farmer as soon as possible. I don't know that our hemp source is domestic yet, but basically, yeah, engineering the um, impact reduction through um, proper purchasing and procurement and supply chain management. And also it, as part of that supply chain management, our, you know, um, and you and I need to talk about our hemp companies, but um, you know, one of the parts of the brand ethos is to minimally process the product. You know, that first extrusion is called crude. We like to call it primary extract or full spectrum hemp oil. And our processor, which is a veteran owned business, they do a very good job of stripping safely that first pass off of the biomass without overtaxing it. So what we get is a very pure, minimalistic product after the first pass and you know each step of refining down to distillate isolate tea free each way you take your product further requires another step to energy impact um, and starts compounding the footprint of that product so we um you know try to use a minimally processed product that has a smaller carbon footprint than others that are especially like an isolate base and um let's see yeah, we, oh, all of the packaging materials for shipping um, are either compostable or recyclable. Again, all of these efforts come to us as a, at a premium for the company, but at the same time, we're doing everything, every dollar makes a decision and mm -hmm. every decision we make is um, with the best intention in mind. And um, 
it takes a little longer sometimes to grow these companies and it's not just a bottom line profit driven model, but it's a living breathing example of a sustainable supply chain that has a minimal environmental impact in the most holistic product and effect to the customer that we can provide. And, and so you are you able to track that all the way with your company? Like I might spend more for a label, 10% more with a label, but then I'm going to save over here down the road. I mean, how do you how do you justify to yourself that that is still going to make you money while you're doing things that are that are, you know, sustainable? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we we all have to do a cost of goods sold analysis and we make sure that our pricing and our margins are um, where they need to be. And we, um, you know, the pricing that we have is competitive and fair in the market market space. And we just don't have a bloated marketing budget. We don't have a bloated, you know, the company runs lean. It's a lean startup. It's a lean model. Um, literally grow it. I can see it out my kitchen door. Um, I go and ride mountain bikes with my processor when I take it down there. Like it's, it's, it's small, it's lean. And yes, like everybody, we have to do, uh, you know, financials at the end of the year. And um, 2020 was a kick in the pants like it was for everyone else. But um, I sleep a lot better at night knowing that I'm not putting Chinese distillate into or isolated into a product and trying to maximize my margin off of it. So we make a comfortable margin um, and deploy and practice transparency um, currently internally. And after um, another month or so, the company will be a year old and we can file for B Corp status. So we've got all the paperwork and supply chain and um, all of that stuff will be fully transparent at the time that we file for B Corp. So um, it's the triple bottom line and we still have a bottom line to answer to obviously, but uh, it's with the, the planet and impact in mind first. You know, that bit, you know, about, bit about being transparent, I think is really important. You know, I've given, you know, talks to numerous people just about CBD, you know, what, what is it? How is it? Is it from THC, you know, THC plan? Is it from hemp? And, you know, those are, those are really a lot of the questions is how do I know that it is good for me or whatever it is? And I say, go onto the website. If they're publishing their, their potency reports, if you see the chain of command documents, then you can start to track that as opposed to just saying CBD, you know, all over the label or hemp, you really need to do your, your investigation and educate yourself as to what you're putting in your body. And I think the companies that you're doing that do that more and more will start to see an uptick in business. So even if things do cost you more on the, on, you know, the production level, you're going to get more business because of it. And as you said, the companies that are not doing anything, whether they're large or small, they're not going to be around in three to five years time. Yeah. And they may have been successful at their cash grab and have a successful exit or sell. Um, again, it's, it's different strokes for different folks. And that's why we're here today is to kind of, you know, talk about the, the new model moving forward. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about supply chain. You mentioned that a, a little bit ago for you and kind of what you do with your labels and packaging. Let's talk about the su sustainable supply chain you know, in any company or bigger companies and really how that does impact where they're going to go in their success. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, I did a, a short course at uh, Colorado Mountain College as a certificate program um, on sustainable business leadership or sustainability leadership. And, you know, all we did was focus on sustainable business examples, uh, successes in the space. And I think it's, uh, it's about companies that choose to be great 
rather than be good. Um, that's the, there's a great book called Small Giants for anybody who's out there um, looking for a good read on the, t on the topic. One that's not too dark or um, cynical, which a lot of sustainability studies can be. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's every, like I said, every dollar is a decision and we go back into, you know, all the way down to, again, using Deep Rooted as an example, um, our logistics partner, you know, uh, we could go with partner A for 75 cents or we could go to partner B for a dollar, but we know that partner B pays all of their employees a living wage. Um, and, you know, what comes with that is also it's you take care of your people, they're going to take care of you. So we know that that provider, one, they're paying a living wage to their employees, but those employees are also happy. A happy employee wraps a happy package. A happy package goes out to a happy customer. And at the end, you know, that $25 or 25 cent difference can come out in customer satisfaction. It can come out in, you know, reduced returns. It can come out with um, higher success rate. So, you know, you have to build these new levels of performance indicators. And you can't just look at something for face value and say, oh, I can buy something from China for 50 cents or I could buy something from Europe for a dollar. You know, what what happens to bring that product to you? And it's, uh, again, to, to kind of quote some of my heroes, um, it's the true cost of food or the true cost of any production. Um, and what we're seeing, at least in a, in a stable economy in the United States, is people choose organic. People choose um, uh they want to know where their biodynamic wine is coming from. I mean, I use with our hemp company, I use uh, craft beer and craft wine as an example that, you know, we all want to know where our beer and wine comes from. And even now our spirits are all, you know, micro distilled and uh, we've got six different kinds of whiskey in Colorado and everybody's very proud of that. So um, I know in some of your other talks, you talk about how people, um, well, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a running argument that you have with people about, people paying the premium for sustainability. Yeah. Um, I think that I know I have made that choice to eat organic, grow organic and put in the extra elbow grease to make a crop come out. Um, so I think that there is an argument to say, again, with a craft scale or craft production, really getting that name, that brand, that recognition out there has value when you were, um, your values are aligned with your customer. So you know, I, I do the same with organic, like I only buy organic food. And the thing is, is I don't hold up an organic tomato next to a non-organic tomato and look at the price difference and say, I'm going to pay, you know, 10 cents more, or two cents more for this, whatever. I just buy the organic tomato. And I've, and I've done that for a number of years, 10 years or more. But I guess my point is we're still a minority, you know, people watching the show, listening to the show. And the trick is, how do we get the, the mainstream to think like that? And for me, the price has to come down. So that's really what I talk about is how do we, you know, feel like our backs up against the wall so that we can innovate. And when we innovate and we come up with ways that we can greatly, vastly reduce the price, even 50% of what I'm just saying, you know, sustainable practices so that the mainstream doesn't have to think about it, then we truly can expand where everybody will just buy organic. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenge for sure. I, I think you're um, unfortunately a hundred percent correct. I mean, it's really easy to get um, lost with like-minded conversations and say, Oh, how could anybody think about it differently? But I think that the market and um, you know, the incentives for 
these initiatives are going to have to bring prices down to make it more of a habit for people. Unfortunately, um, consuming and purchasing's purchasing are habits for most people and paying the attention and putting in the intention that you want to make or create or um, support a, um, a better value proposition being ethics rather than cost. Um, again, that's a high binded conversation that you're absolutely right. We're going to have to bring prices down and um, again, not harp on the negative, but uh, support the positive, I think. Well, th think about it this way. Somebody, somebody did a post in one of the one of these shows a couple days ago, it was kind of a, it's an interesting statement. Let, if we want to have less packaging, it should cost less because we have less material. So even if we think about it that way, it doesn't have to be like a sustainable, you know, big thing. It's just like, let's just say you have, you know, and I've seen this bananas wrapped in plastic, which is yeah. crazy with the label on them. Just think about, okay, you do away with the plastic, and you put just a little sticker right on the banana because that's a natural package. If we start to think about it that way, that how can we do away with, you know, maybe not turn it into something else like a bioplastic, just do away with the plastic. Now that's an extreme example, but if we're able to look at everything in that way to reduce and get rid of packaging in general, that's mm -hmm. gonna help out too. And that is a positive thing, but that takes innovative thought. That's not just, I'm just going to go to the store and grab even organic, even if you're organically minded, you have to look at how it's packaged. So it does take, it takes a lot of thought, but it can be done. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the, the again, I didn't want to get into the negatives, but the, the organic certification on a product is not indicative of the life cycle analysis of that product. Um, it may have a higher environmental toll than something that was produced on a, another type of farm. So, um, again, that's going down the cynics path, but um, yeah, it's it's I think decentralized food production and um, you know raising people's awareness and then also encouraging people to go buy fresher ingredients is um, an absolute step in that direction. That's uh, one thing that I'm always working on and helping people understand. I'm a huge advocate of hemp for food as well, um, and I think that's going to make a big difference um, in understanding impact and also diversity of using an ingredient for different ways and minimizing pl uh, plastic and packaging as a whole. So, so you were just saying that organic may not be better than something natural because the way it was processed or its carbon footprint may be bigger. Than, yeah. Is that right? I mean, how, how would I know if I just go to the organic section at Whole Foods or any, any store for that matter? Always err on the side of organic. That's what I always tell people. Again, this is a, a point in conversation that I don't bring up very often unless it's with people understand life cycle analysis because, you know, rock phosphate is extremely heavy to move around. If you're using an organic phosphorus source for your inputs, um, it takes a lot of carbon and a lot of fuel to get it there. If you use Chilean nitrate, which is limited use only in the National Organic Program because it's a finite resource, but it's only found in one place in the world. And if you use, say, um, Chilean nitrate on your organic corn production, because nitrogen, you need corn for nitrogen, or nitrogen for corn, excuse me. Um, you know, you're using a finite resource that's highly soluble that can end up being run off and causing um, eutrophication as bad, if not worse, than traditional or excuse me, synthetic fertilizers. So it 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 comes into a holistic view of you know what my I like to joke about it. I like to try to keep it lighthearted. They're not going to take chicken poop to space, right? <laughs> We're not going to take poultry litter with five percent nitrogen. Um, to 
colonize Mars and grow tomatoes or potatoes. Um, you know, that's an unfortunate reality. There's a lot of energy that goes into the Haber-Bosch process and making and refining synthetic nitrogen. But when you have a nitrogen source that's 30, 40%, it's carbon footprint to move it around is way less. And this is an argument that's not very popular a lot among a lot of my, you know, super crunchy friends, but I like to keep an open mind um, when it comes to sustainability and making, again, we talked about, uh, we let in with this saying, let's make as much of an impact as we can. And how do we do that? We make the impact by understanding our impact first. We raise awareness and then we improve our um, efforts. And, you know, again, I would say if you're at the farmer's market, support your organic farmer. Don't bat an eye. They're going to probably have a better product. And one of the main benefits in my mind about organic is that, you know, even if there was an insecticide or pesticide used, it's from a plant or natural derived source. It's not a 30 letter word that you can't pronounce or much less want to ingest. Um, so always err on the side of organic, but it's a uh, part of a bigger conversation. Now, when you start seeing um, life cycle analysis, and ESG and uh, environmental social governance and potentially corporate sustainability reporting mandates coming through. Um, it's really nice. Um, I'm sure you can uh, resonate with this, having been passionate and pursuing this for over a decade. To see these words even being used in the news is um, uplifting. Um, right. No, it, it's it's true. And I, I want to say that I don't I don't see what you're doing or those conversations as cynical or negative. I see them as we have to have them because if we don't, if we don't have these tough conversations, things are going to go on as they are, you know, so it's going to take, it's going to take difficult conversations that don't have to be negative. It's just, this is the reality. And these are the choices that we have to make today that are going to matter to make an impact tomorrow and the next day and 400 years from now. So yeah. I, I commend you for having those. And I think that everything that we talked about here, um, there's definitely more to, to talk about. And I, I would encourage the viewers and listeners to reach out to you because you've got a wealth of information here and, and so much information on both sides and, and what you're doing is great. Um, I, uh, so I, I, wanna, I wanna end with that, but I do want to you to talk about your websites, how people can get, get a hold of you uh, because I know there are going to be questions for you. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. Um, you know, the best place, uh, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn, Brian Gandy. Um, any email coming through Deep Rooted Hemp, if you want to go through www.deeprootedhemp.com, you can find me there. Um, I've also got a, a landing page for sustainableterrains.com. Um, Not huge on Facebook. I am on Instagram, but LinkedIn or through my websites is probably the best way to find me. And I, uh, if you can't tell, I love the subject matter and I, I, I come out of it with compassion. I love hard questions too. So bring them if you got them. Awesome. <laughs> well, what are you, what are you working on for 2021 that you're really excited about? You know, we didn't even really get into it. Um, Deep Rooted is my passion project. I love it. I work on it. It's a, a family run business. Um, I love growing hemp in the backyard with my chickens running around. Um, but my bread and butter is uh, LED lighting technology and everybody on LinkedIn is tired of the LED salesman. Um, I sell through education and I uh, work on success. Um, I work with each client and each conversion to help people understand, implement, and um, reduce their impact through appropriate technologies. So right. if, uh, if anybody's building out a cultivation space or facility, um, 
I can source any kind of lighting. I advocate for recycling of uh, traditional conventional street lighting, um, high pressure sodium lamps. I won't turn my nose up at you if that's the way you want to go, but I'll help you put in a more sustainable program there. So um, yeah, that's my MO for uh, 2021, a healthy growing season. We got some snow, looks like we're going to have a good watershed year and uh, helping people convert to the latest and greatest technology. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you. That was uh, amazing information and uh, look forward to talking with you more. Hey, Benjamin, it was a pleasure. I really appreciate it and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks. All right. Take care.